begin retreat with a formal beginning. Mm-hmm. So these forms that we use, this is a, a, a form of um, inclusion and, and participation and commitment in that you know, we all come from different places, different directions, different bodies, different histories and so on and so just the important thing is to get a sense of you know inclusion so you know and everybody in it <laughs> uh, uh, you know as much as much of ourselves as we can bring into it which uh, depending where your energy's at or where your minds are at you know at least that's that's the gesture the opening gesture is the gathering together so we use a form to to as our as our song as our as our thing that we do in common we're included in it and uh so and then there's the commitment which is so that we've created a certain firmness to the to the boundary or the field that we're creating Uh, it's a collective field of minds of energies of hearts of skills and obviously of difficulties Mm. and so then we we create a protective quality around that so it's held free from intrusion uh, obstruction um, ill will uh, distraction you know so we since we're contained within this and so you know form of a retreat generally we even have like a geographical container so room to walk around but within a certain boundary so we really you know, um, understand the sense of the container is not a prison but a sense of protection um, from distracting influences or things that are irrelevant this time or sometimes directly unwholesome naturally the most important container that we generate is the uh, container of of virtue, of integrity, the moral precepts. Mm. So, this, of course, if we can really establish this, then we, wherever we go, we're, we're within our, our moral field, our field of integrity. Mm. Yeah. And so, these are uh, the particular points that we can recognize. They're refraining from killing, stealing, lying. They're not that esoteric. Um, and they're just points. But the the whole quality of the uh, you know of what we're what these po- points illuminate or just the like triggering points within is a field of integrity, conscience of concern, which you know to others let me not uh, have negative effects on the minds, the hearts, the bodies of other beings. Um, let me not intrude upon them uh, their sensitivities. So there's a sense of uh, a restraint that's not so much a shutting each other off, but actually, uh, you know, sensitive and respectful of of, uh, of each other, and of course of other creatures. And we begin to cherish this quality of conscience and concern and respect, and that's something we also carry with us, which becomes kind of more strongly felt and feel confident in it. And we can see where we we can lose it. Yeah. This is where I feel strong and, and upright.
So this sense of that's uh, held with a, a commitment to that. Mm. Naturally, these are all heart fields, conscience and concern, integrity. These are qualities that uh, mm, qualities of heart. Mm. So not just words or laws, but the heart qualities. And so, if we really uh, get the sense of that, the, the heart, we get that in the heart. It feels it wakes up. It, oh yeah, you know this is not just kind of do this, do that. But hey, this is something that's going to, you know, uh, mean I'm going to live life free from regret and have confidence and uh, not be distracted. This is a precious thing, mm-hmm. and we protect it. Uh, so conscience and concern. Uh, sensitivity, Hiriotapa, it's called the, called the guardians of the world, the two world guardians, Hiri and Otapa, conscience and concern. Mm, they one's own moral conscience and concern for, uh, you know, uh, how one's affecting others. Mm. So, yeah. And Along with this, in retreat situation, we also sort of commit to, um, you know, turning off the f- phone. So, for example, we're very much contained in this location rather than in uh, um, places outside where we get messages that um, uh, take us out or get our minds working in other directions. Um, and even refraining from conversation. Of course, conversation can be very heartwarming and encouraging and uplifting and and good humor. And occasionally just things come out of the corner of your mouth that hit somebody in the wrong direction. Didn't really mean that, it just slipped out or wasn't the right time or wasn't that funny for that person (laughs) and so on. So uh, because a lot of our language is just, you know, it gets wired in. Um, so we kind of don't really even know what we're really saying, and uh, so the sense of of refraining from com- from conversation is not so much shutting everybody off, shutting everybody out, but actually, you know, um, respect and not not uh, putting one's own energies or messages or signals into other people's minds, you know, because they. they want to use the occasion to listen to their own conversation, you know, conversations that may, you know, we've never had a chance to really listen to, you know, things of regret or sadness or struggle or aspiration or, you know, we want to really hear those. And even things that we've never really heard in ourselves because we've always been too noisy, uh, too chatty, too... uh, uh, yeah, in one way or another. Mm. So in this quality of silence then is a, an offering we make to each other. We embrace, we embrace each other with that sense of respect. And, uh, and the deep listening. And of course when we uh, are holding silence in the right way, then our sense of relationship with others 
has to be expressed in other ways. We can't just use words. So we have to use body language. Um, we have to use cooperative movements. Um, you know, we have to just just radiate it through our hearts and trust that you know other people will receive that. So every gesture that we make of you know cooperation or please go ahead, you know, or um, gestures like this, uh, when when we're silent, they actually have a very strong effect. Mm. Small things have a strong effect. Sensitivity increases, and just the sense of recognizing, you know, somebody else does notice me <laughs> and see me with regard, and you know, and they're not just chatting away; they're actually aware and and responsive. So body language, um, and we will certainly in the retreat be, um, well, I will be offering um, some ways uh, of, of sensing each other, relational experiences, which will mostly be non-verbal. Some, some verbal, a lot of them just partly verbal. Um, so we get a, a sense of really feeling each other sensing each other, how we're affecting each other, and um, uh, beginning to overcome some of the difficulties that have occurred in relational experiences. Mm. Now, <coughs> so one of the um, fundamental qualities of what we call a, you know, a monastic retreat, or I don't know to the extent to which other people do this, but uh, it's chanting. Mm. Mm. So you have here your, these uh, little sheets, or bunches of sheets, and forget the numbers because the the, the, the photos started out of books, so we've rearranged them so the most the most frequently used chants will be the beginning, and the one we're only going to use once, which is right at the end so it's both easy access and it will only do it once so mostly you'll be using the stuff at the front and occasionally stuff later on so that's your little book um, and um, yeah take it with you when you go <laughs> memo um, naturally it's yeah if you don't have you ever chanted in Pali the Buddhist the language of the Theravada scriptures, there can be that kind of struggle with it, because yeah. uh, the words look kind of weird, you know. Once you get it, it's fairly, it doesn't take long to get it, because it's a very clean, clear language, much easier than English, actually, because what, what's spelt, once you understand it, gives you an exact um, way of pronouncing it, whereas English is, what's written is not, doesn't necessarily tell you what the sound is. <laughs> you know, what does GH sound like? <laughs> yeah. um, so these are all there, and, and uh, I'll try to explain some of that. Mm, but, um, you know, we'll have to use the, the sheets, but as much as you can, really, I recommend you learn through your ears, ears and voice. Even if you don't get it quite right, just kind of bumble along uh, and try to get what other, what, you know, for people who do know how to do it, 
kind of lift their voices and other people just try to listen, learn it so much from the sound as the te- as the written thing. Uh, and this is uh, um, not just a tip in terms of chanting technique, it's actually pointing to a very, um, you know, fundamental mm, quality. Uh, the difference between the written word and the the spoken word. And that's quite significant. And, and it, it, it goes a long way, actually. Mm. Yeah, basically, the um, you know, when we can consider in the time of the Buddha, there was some writing, but not much. And really important things, he didn't write them down. Because writing was a sort of like a bit half-hearted. <laughs> you know, scribbling something on a piece of papyrus or whatever they use. The most important thing was you, it, the, the message came through your body and your voice to another person. <laughs> you know, just piece of piece of thing, <laughs> you know, written down. It's like, well, who's that? But it's your body, your voice, with all its tones and qualities, presents itself. And the other person hears it, feels it, gets the face, gets the body language, gets the whole multi-dimensional thing. So everything, sacred stuff, never written down. Not until four or five hundred years after the time of the Buddha, they start actually writing this stuff down. Most of it's just you speak it, you chant it. You don't even speak it. Yeah. Uh, because it's too sacred. To chant, you have to use your whole body. To speak, you just use, you know, lips, tongue, bit of your throat. Chant, you'll use your belly, your chest, your shoulders, your back. You're going to open. And then, okay, now you mean it. <laughs> You didn't just mumble it, you, now you mean it, you're really putting it out there. And some things can only can only be um, done that way, you know. It can only be expressed like that. And because in that we we offer this something something in us, our heart, our very breath, and our most personal aspect is our voice. Yeah. And it's just there and gone. There and gone. And that's also beautiful. There and gone. And then we hear it. And then we chant together. You know, you use your ears. This amazing thing happens called harmony. Which you couldn't figure out. You can't say, you you, 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 you just do it. And use your ears, and the voices start to wobble around, and then they find each other, and they start to blend. Yeah. And then we to harmony is is an exquisite experience. I think something we yearn for in our relationships with others, with the world in general, with our own bodies, just to be not, just to not be struggling or resisting, but just to live in harmony. You know, isn't that? One of the most fundamental longing, and it, it, it you know. Uh, so this is what uh, chanting is about.
just touching that experience. Mm. Mm. And in that you, even though the words are saying something, you know, Myosaw Bhagawa, what your voice carries is its joyfulness, its depth, its aspiration, it's carrying heart. Whatever the words are saying, when you chant, it carries what's in your heart, even your sadness or anger. It's just... It's the most uh, true thing we can do in a way. Uh, so reading a, a, a story by a, a South African Zen teacher called Anthony Anthony Osler. He, he lives in a place in South Africa called the Karoo. Karoo it's like a sem- desert, pretty much near desert. Uh, and he's got a kind of a, a farm there. What farm? A farm, homestead. So it's very, very arid, mm. uh, and it's remote. And he does a, he has a zendo there. So and he also acts. He used to he does still serve as a as a lawyer, civil lawyer. He used to be a human rights lawyer in South Africa. He settles labour disputes, disputes. He settles that kind of thing. That's his job. And he also does zazen and teaches zazen. And he was so he was driving back, I guess, from the city to his place in the in the Karoo Desert, which is way off the track. And then he's driving along hour after hour and he starts to recognize his, his little buggy's running out of gas. So, okay, this is a gas station. Pulls in. Pulls on, you know, nobody around. Stuck, you know, it's pretty remote. It waits for a while and then eventually some Lad comes out from under a tree because it's blazing hot. So he's been sitting under a tree. Okay, what do you want? Okay, yeah, right. Okay. Starts f- putting gas in the car. And they get to talking about this, that, and the other. You know, I'm go- where are you going? I'm going home. Oh yeah, you look like you're going home. You got it in your eyes. You got that look going home look. Yeah. They talk about this and that. And. Uh, and uh, you know, the the lad says, "Oh yeah, this week's wages, I'll be able to buy my my little sister a dress because she's going to graduate at school, and I can use my wages to make sure she looks really good at a graduation ceremony." And uh, Tony says, "Oh yeah, I've been to those. It's just so beautiful when you see all the families who've struggled and." scrimped and saved and begged and loaned to get enough money to put their kids through school. And then when they get to this graduation, everybody's just singing and dancing because they're just so happy to have their kids go graduate. And uh, and he says, yeah, my sister, she's going to be there. He says, yeah, and i I got to wear the, i got to wear the proper, i got a good jacket, but I haven't got any proper pants yet, you know, you need the black pants and to look good. I haven't got those yet, but I'm going to wait, wait. So, uh, 
Anthony goes to the back of his car, opens his boot, pulls out a pair of black pants, says, here. Oh, okay. And the lad says, just don't, don't move, don't move. Stay there. Disappears. Comes back, he's got the black jacket, the black pants on. And he stands under the tree and he just opens, he just, he sings. <laughs> and he sings the Italian ar- aria, <laughs> which he's learned. <laughs> and that's his, <laughs> that's his gift, you know. <laughs> That's rather you say, oh, thanks very much. Oh, you shouldn't have. Oh, well, I'm, I don't really want to. You know, they're kind of embarrassed <laughs> things that people can do. It's just... <laughs> and some things you can only do with singing. Because <laughs> it's just the heart opener. Mm. So when with the chanting, really just to be conscious of those feelings of not getting it right or my voice isn't very good or, you know, what's this all mean? Just... Just open up and <laughs> and uh, it's not an Italian aria. <laughs> it's fairly sedate. <laughs> yeah. So with this, um, you know, the fullness of it when we cultivate like this is we we use our bodies. We make an offering, yeah, to the Buddha, and so. Uh, Clearly, the Buddha, uh, we have a statue. The Buddha, we bear in mind the sense of the awakened intelligence, the purity, the clarity, the, you know, the vastness of the Buddha mind, Buddha heart, Buddha awareness. You know, so we offer ourselves and we use simple things. Here we can use some water, because water represents harmony and compassion. We offer that. Then we offer the flowers, which represent uh, virtue. So there's an opening and unfolding, so they represent virtue. And when we do this, we are really becoming Sangha. You know, the, the, the assembly, the followers. And then it's our joy, um, you know, at, at uh, 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 the occasions we can offer. We offer our aspiration, our commitment, our endeavor. Yeah. And in that gesture together, then we are becoming Sangha and we see, you know, seeing ourselves and seeing each other as Sangha. Those who as- aspire and commit and practice towards awakening. Mm. And one of the opportunities of uh, Retreat is to cultivate uh, renunciation. Mm. Uh, renunciation, the aim of it is to make life simpler and, uh, uh, and also to redirect energy. Um, mm. So, mm. you know, when we, uh, as we open our eyes, we look around, we are definitely experience a world that appears in front of our senses, the visual world, the auditory world, tactile world, you know, these phenomena arise and there's a, a lot of activation that occurs around that, you know, push-pull, uh, 
you know, focusing intentionality uh, towards that sensory realm. And um, uh, in that, uh, pleasure, pain can arise. And what we learn over time <laughs> is it isn't always so good. <laughs> uh, you know, that, uh, the, 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 the uh, messages of the sensory world or what we receive from it uh, are subject to uh, delusion and confusion and definitely seduction and consumerism. Uh, so, you, not the sensory world is what it is, but it's a particular program uh, that's embedded in the in the chitta that gets us very agitated uh, one way or another about it, you know, passionate or uh, worried or uh, depressed. Uh, so it stirs. And um, in cultivation, there's a recognition of you know, the mind, chitta can can kind of clear that push-pull system that's co-occurring in its, within it, called tanha, craving or clinging, adopting the sensory world, so that the jitta can clear that, that, that habit of getting involuntarily stirred and dragged and pushed and pulled by it. Mm. But this definitely takes quite a bit of training, practice and support. Mm. So in using a renunciation form, we're you actually think, well, actually, let's just put some boundaries in, uh, and um, which will, you know, contain our energies, so uh, and they're not, um, you know, damaging or, or ascetic, but just restraining. So, in clearly, things like restraining from internet, you know, um, restraining the speech, restraining bodily action. You know, uh, and restraining is not a great <laughs> popular notion, <laughs> uh, but it, it, occur, it can occur because if we are cultivating, uh, there's a certain deepening and warming uh, of the heart that makes it possible. We begin to see, yeah, it's possible to feel rich and fulfilled um, in the heart and even in our own body. The body is steady and relaxed and comfortable. Then. I really need to get my feel-good stuff out there. I've got it right here. And this is definitely good advantage because it doesn't cost anything for starts. <laughs> uh, and it, it means the energies themselves are also to be carefully uh, collected and soothed and steadied so we become uh, stronger as well. Because uh, energy is not ricocheting or getting ragged or you know, going every which way so it becomes more unified there's a certain strength of energy and happiness that can occur that means we, we the jitta gets bigger and richer than the sense world so here we use this these forms to um, train ourselves to encourage ourselves during this retreat period and then clearly you know when the form retreat period is over then you follow what seems appropriate in terms of your own standards but just knowing that you can and you know you can switch things off and disconnect and you know it can be a bit difficult at first but there are good results from it gives you a certain confidence and strength and self-respect 
So this is what we cultivate, and it's considered to be like an offering occasion. To to renunciation makes you strong and sets you free. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it. So here we are, um, the the, the five moral precepts to refrain from killing, stealing, lying, uh, cheating and so on. And the renunciation precepts take it a bit further, refraining from any intentional sexual activity. Um, So I think certainly in in a kind of Western culture this can have a, a kind of a puritanical or guilt or quality, tonality to it. But it's actually very just pragmatic, really, uh, and and certainly when one recognises just the the amount of abusive stuff that happens sexually, it would be a good idea if people did, you know, learn to handle this stuff because you know, obviously in appropriate situations it can be very uh, bonding and warming, but a lot of damage gets done through this stuff. <laughs> Uh, you know, a lot of damage, abuse and violation and, you know, rape and you know, all kinds of horrible things get done through this, not, people not having any sense of, you know, collecting and gathering and, and being wise. So, you know, and the quality of, of uh, sexual restraint if it can be fulfilled, means energy is channeled um, through the whole body, particularly up the spinal channel. If certain um, the energy goes, if it's skillfully handled, tend to rise and strengthen the body, and the energy level is kept fairly steady. Whereas with sexual activity, you get strong waves up, you get strong euphoric bursts, and so forth. It's very you know, um, agreeable, but it goes up big wave. But here we're, we're saying, okay, this is more like steady state. And that steadiness, when the mind's energy is held steady, perhaps we can see things more clearly. There's less upheaval, there's less waves. Yeah. And obviously there's still plenty of waves left. <laughs> you know. Uh, so we just think, okay, now we can see perhaps subtler things and, and learn how to uh, rather appreciate the steadying energy, and not, to, not as a kind of shutting off energy or cramping it, but actually steadying it and smoothing it and grooming it. So we use the body as our, as our uh, laboratory or our place for spreading energy through the entire bodily form then it becomes a source of warming and, and uh, um, happiness in the body, the whole body. And then you just can stay in steady state for a long period with that. This is the principle of samadhi you know, as a resource for practitioners. And, if you, and you don't really, you know, you don't, get samadhi, you don't have samadhi without renunciation, or without what renunciation does. It redirects uh, energy mm, and steadies it. So in the retreat, we're picking up that theme, the way we move, the silences, the softness of the way we open and close doors, 
you know, the sense of operating in a kind of orderly way so that things are kept smooth and steady. And, you know, when she, and then, and then chanting in a kind of steady way. So this becomes a kind of a, a reference point, energetically a reference point, that we uh, then becomes much more, um, you know, an embodied sign. You can feel it. And then you can also notice when you're getting tight or rattled or tense or, you know, agitated or constricted or dull. I mean, hey, what's going on? And, you know, coming back into the body. So you've got something that you can begin to recognize um, the afflictive or uh, defective energies that are running, um, often associated with difficult mind states such as um, doubt, worry, uh, negativity, you know, things of this nature where we just feel very uncomfortable. So the more we can cultivate this steady energy, the more we've got something we can take our our worry to and drop it into that. You know, we can take our anxiety and drop it into that pool. We can take our impatience and drop it into that that pool and then oh, it begins to you know um, absorb and and smooth out these um, residues that we carry from our lives mm-hmm.